Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Bread and Goods podcast. I have a very, very interesting guest here. I have Ben Reinhardt, who is the author of two pieces on DARPA and a pr- proposal for a private version of DARPA. Uh, hi, Ben. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh, what are you working on now? Uh, right now, I am working on implementing the private ARPA that I described in that second piece you mentioned. Okay, so let's start from the basics. For listeners who don't know, what is DARPA and why is it and and why is it a model worth emulating? Uh, so, so DARPA, which stands for the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, is a uh, an agency within the American Department of Defense. Um, that their 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 mandate most broadly is is a. Uh, uh, quote unquote, to to prevent strategic surprise. So their their mandate is kind of to work on military technology writ extremely broadly um, from like very very highly speculative things. Um, so to um, very like sort of concrete combat systems, um, and they have they were they were started in uh, 1958, um, and they're. <clears throat> really responsible for a lot of the technology that sort of defines the modern world. So they're responsible for uh, a lot of our sort of modern uh, personal computing. They're responsible for the internet. Um, They're responsible for autonomous cars um, and stealth stealth aircraft and and a whole host of other things. Um, And so they have a fairly unique sort of operating model. And the reason that I think that they're worth emulating is because they've, they've oh, they're, they're also in part responsible for uh, the mRNA vaccines that um, uh, many people who are listening probably have in their bodies right now. Uh, and, and so the reason that they're worth emulating in my mind is, is the fact that they have managed to consistently produce uh, these, these pretty incredible results over several, like many decades and like multiple generations of people there. Um, as opposed to like many uh, research organizations that do really good work, but if you look at it, it's like one generation of amazing people. Um, and so I'm very interested in uh, sort of long lasting institutional structures that can consistently produce uh, incredible results. Um, so so that's, that's what they are and why they're worth emulating. What makes them tick as your essay put it? Why did DARPA and not any other countries um, defense organization. Singapore has DSTA. The I'm sure other governments also have their own um, internal research organizations. India has DRDO. What made DARPA special that it continued its um, its string of successes across multiple generations of researchers? Well, I mean, the 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 full answer to that is obviously a uh, a very long essay, um, <laughs> but a, a few. And again, like this is this is all sort of like narrative spinning. So this is not like the truth, but the the hypothesis is that it's a combination of um, having these program managers who are are basically like. The, the CEOs of the programs in, in, in what they do is they go and they, they sort of set the vision for a program um, and then go and find uh, uh, what they, they call like performers. So 
researchers to, to do different pieces, different projects within that program. Um, and, and the program managers have very large leeway over uh, who they pay to do what. Um, and they can sort of like spin up and spin down projects very quickly. Um, so, so they, they just have a, a lot of flexibility. So that's, that's uh, one, one big thing. Um, they have a very wide mandate. Um, so you can make an argument that everything from uh, mRNA vaccines to, uh, to the internet are all related to defense. Um, and then uh, I guess another thing is like, and, and they, they have continued to have that, that flexibility given to them by Congress, um, and the the last thing is that they they really do have the mandate to set extremely ambitious goals, um, and so they they have a program success rate of around like under ten percent. Um, so uh, they they like they they not only say that they have ambitious goals, but they actually do have ambitious goals, and and you can see that sort of in the the failure rate, um, which is is a, a pretty rare thing in a governmental organization. Um, what about hiring those product managers makes it so special? Uh, why does like obviously like many government agencies, as you mentioned, they can't use Google Docs, so they have all those small. Um, bureaucratic limitations but why do smart people go work there what's the incentive as a smart 30 year old phd from uh, from a top engineering school why would they want to go work at darpa uh so i will as again a longer answer to this question if you're if you're interested uh darpa actually has their own podcast where they interview the program managers and you can and usually uh -huh. they have their story about why each individual one went to DARPA. So, so I'm gonna just plug that here. Um, but the the general sort of like av on average, uh, it is a way to really have a, an impact on the development of a technology that, or in multiple technologies that you want to see in the world um, in a way that's very hard to find elsewhere. Like there are very few places where you can go and spend tens of millions of dollars on extremely speculative technology programs distributed across many research groups to try to make a vision uh, come into the world, right? And, and to the point where like, uh, that, I, that I mentioned before, that they really are uh, allowed to go after really ambitious ideas. Um, and that's just, a very unique situation. Um, there's, there's also the, the point that, um, you know, people want to, to serve the country and, and the, the work that you do at DARPA does at the end of the day, uh, go towards sort of making, uh, America more secure. Um, so, so there's a piece of that as well. In your, sorry, in your, in your first and second pieces, um, up till the end of the second piece, you didn't have any, you focus more on the meta level than the object level. So can you work us through an example of a DARPA project that, uh, that, that worked well and uh, make it go through the three steps of the initial experimentation and scaling going up and, 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 and how did that actually work out? Uh, so the, let's see. So, so, so the trick is that each each of these stories is is fairly unique. So there's like the like platonic DARPA program that that, that I lay out. But then if you actually go into the story of each individual program, they're all uh, their their own unique flowers. So if you look at, for example, um, 
the like uh, JCR Licklitters program uh, around uh, personal computing, what he did is he really just went and uh, sort of had a list of the people with the most ambitious ideas around personal computing. And he basically paid them to start labs uh, at various, various universities around the country um, and sort of like funded their, their projects. Um, and then, uh, which is, is sort of very different than uh, how, for example, like stealth technology came about where in, in that case uh, it was, that uh, some some folks at Lockheed Martin realized like, wait a minute, uh, there's this like weird Russian paper that hints at this this way that that weird geometries um, can change radar cross sections. And so they went to uh, the the program manager who was like vaguely trying to figure out things around how to make aircraft more stealthy. And they're like, you need to give us money to build like to like do this like proof of concept. And so they, they got a little bit of money to do a proof of concept. Um, and then once they did that, then the, the program manager gave them a lot more money. And, and so, yeah, like every, every program is like fairly idiosyncratic. Um, I apologize that that's not a, a super satisfying answer, but it's, it's like, this is sort of the point of like, this is, I would argue why it works is that there's not like a strict cookie cutter formula like there's kind of like a rough set of guidelines about how how the program works but at the end of the day it's like have the program managers go do what they need to do to um make amazing technology happen um which uh you know it's it's become a little bit more restricted like the in terms of the the formula over the years and so sort of modern darpa has a much more um sort of procedural way that programs get spun up uh, than, than programs in the past. Given the like relatively small sample size of DARPA um, large successes, can is it, isn't there too much variance to draw conclusions from it? Uh, like, is it, isn't the sample size too small? Use an analogy in in the in the world of finance, the recommended things like after you hit thirty stocks, your variance becomes negligible. But when you go from one to fifteen, the variance is still really really high, and you know you still have to diversify. From an intellectual point of view, your like your 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 intellectual portfolio here depends on if if I'm not wrong, twenty different successes, although large successes still 20, like, isn't there the obvious risk of overfitting to, this, to these 20 successes? Um, so, I mean, yeah, like this is, this is not science. This is not, uh, this, this does not hold up under replication. Um, this is uh, like, I, I, I think that it's like, we, we don't actually have a lot of the like uh, sort of epistemological tools to deal with how to replicate outliers, um, right? And so, like that—that's the thing. Is like DARPA is is clearly an outlier, and what I am fairly confident of is that those twenty successes uh, are not random. Like you could you could make an argument. Yes, you could like you flip you know a thousand uh, coins, and you could they could all come up heads. So like maybe that's the case, um, uh, but my hypothesis is that it's not, um, I, I guess sort of one 
argument, like one other piece of evidence that it's not just random is that uh, IARPA, which is the uh, Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Agency was modeled uh, very closely on DARPA um, and has had some, some pretty similar breakthrough successes, uh, especially around quantum computing. Um, and you look at other attempts to copy DARPA that do not hew as closely to the formula and they do not do as well. Um, and so I, I feel like that is another piece of evidence that it's not, uh, that it's not just random. Uh, but, but again, like I, I'm, I'm not arguing that this is statistically defensible. Uh, I, I think that this is, it, it is, it is a narrative. Um, and there's, there's no way to sort of like prove, um, that, that it works. Um, and I'm, I'm not, arguing that it does uh, it's 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 a it's all a hypothesis but I, I think that it is worthwhile to like really sort of like study what made outliers outliers um yeah is that i, I realize again it's like it's not a satisfying answer so but i i think it is given the constraint of that like the best like uh, counterfactual, like the best control experiment we have is DARPA versus I versus the IARPA, and versus like the DOE also ran one more of the yeah, same sort ARPA of thing. E. Yeah, yeah, and and like even that didn't end up so well, I guess. The only thing I can tell of memory of I IARPA is like they ran prediction markets, and I got it from like Robin Hansen's page, and they shut it down because they ran prediction markets for terrorists, and it was. And I think deemed morally impermissible for that to happen, which sucks. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think one, one part of it is just uh, what percentage of this is because of specific people? Is this because of the big, do you, has this project increased or decreased your, um, your, your belief in the big man theory of history? Oh man, I have, I have very complicated feelings on this. Okay, so I'm going to put on my historian hat for for a moment. And uh, I, I think I think the, the person uh, who I've heard give sort of like the best treatment of this is is Ada Palmer, uh, who's a historian at the University of, of Chicago. But that it's, it's not either like sort of your your like great forces or your uh your your great man it's it's some combination of both um and it's like you can't you can't really distinguish them so it's like forces really like forces and trends really really matter um and people also really really matter uh and and i don't think that it's actually possible to to distinguish them um, so, so doing this makes me deeply believe that people really matter. Um, but I also believe that those people like don't exist in a vacuum. And so they need to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, so. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> fair. I, no, let's, let's close it off to mine, which is that like, if you notice across um, historical shocks, which is any time things are forced across, like one of my favorite statistics is that productivity increased 30% in the Great Depression. Or that random people, you know, saving private Ryan is a great example where like, trust me, this is very much related. Like some random uh, high school teacher from uh, some village ended up being the captain of some soldiers in this in, in uh, 
France. And, you know, if you look at all sorts of shocks through history, like um, individual people who would be completely non-noticeable um, outside those shocks, rise to the occasion. So I guess like one way is just keep creating enough occasions for those people to rise to. And one um, nice part of being a superpower is that you can afford to burn money on things that have like a 0.5% chance of working. And some part of that ends up in, I mean, a lot of that ends up like worked in battle, but some part of that ends up in, uh, you know, um, scientific research. But yeah, <laughs> sorry. Well, well, one other, like a, a way to think about it actually is, is, um, in terms of like forces versus people, uh, I think of I think of uh, people as like nucleation points in a in a solution, right? So it's like you need a super like if if you like have a super saturated solution, um, say of 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 salt, and then you like put like one sort of like grain of salt in there, then an entire salt crystal forms, um, and it's like you could ask like was that caused by the super saturated solution or was it caused by the nucleation point? Um, and and the answer is like both, uh, so so that's that's sort of my model of it. Yeah, like another way of thinking of it is like in chemistry you you have the limiting reagent, and the question is like what is the limiting reagent here? And that's like a very very useful mental model to um, analyzing any situation. Well, I guess I guess like my my pushback against that is that that assumes that there's there's one, right? As opposed to there being like that—that that assumes some like, like sort of like single track causal model, um, uh-huh. as opposed to a a sort of like I, I I'm I'm not sure the causality of uh of like large events is is so straightforward. That that would be but my my pushback there. Yes, that is not that it is not so straightforward. No, because like, the way I put it is like, imagine you had, I mean, we're, we're just trading analogies here, but um, it's, it's like cooking, right? You you have a really bad soup and you want to make, make it a good soup. And yes, you need multiple ingredients, but you also have like, there's one clear step you can do to uh, make your soup taste better. If this, if, yeah. Given, given any context, sure. But like, that's that's the trick. So So going back to the, uh, the supersaturated solution. If you already have the nucleation point, then you need to make the concentration of the solution greater. But if you have a, like a high concentration, then you need a nucleation point, and you can't say a priori which you need. Okay. Okay. Fine. Yeah. You 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 convinced me. Um, that, okay. Um, that being said, why is Darpa's main constraint ideas and, and not money? And why and what makes it so special that it's the, I think, as far as I know, it's the only government organization in the US to go to uh, Congress and say, we don't want more money. Stop giving it to us. We can't do anything good with it. Uh, uh, Sir, uh, Sir Humphrey of Yes Minister would be very, very di- disappointed. <laughs> well, to, to be fair, that was that was one uh, that was one DARPA director once uh, uh-huh. who who asked who who said that they they didn't want more money, um, and uh, I mean, so so the question is like like why are they they money limited uh, instead of ideas limited? I mean, so. I mean, they, they one they have a lot of money. Uh, their budget is is around five billion U.S. dollars a year, um, and the thing is, if, if you actually look at like real research, like that involves sort of deep uncertainty, and it, it's not just 
sort of like it's something that you can't just put sort of more engineering time into uh, more money really doesn't speed things up very often. It does up to a certain point, um, but then there's sort of like a plateau after which more money uh, makes things better. And I, I think a lot of DARPA programs sort of fall into that category. So, so there's a limit to how much money each program can effectively use. And then at, so, so sort of back to our, our, our forces and context, at any point in time, there are sort of a, a finite number of DARPA-shaped ideas, right? Like there's actually a, a number of constraints on them. They need to be uh, incredibly ambitious. They need to be sort of at this point where it makes sense to, to fund a bunch of different projects as opposed to one sort of single project. Uh, and they they need to be uh, related to defense, which is is a you know, it, it's, it's a broad mandate, but it doesn't cover everything. Uh, so, and, and you need to be able to find an amazing program manager uh, to run it, right? And there's not that many of those people in the world. Uh, so, so like with, for all those constraints, uh, that sort of means that there are a really a finite number of ideas uh, that DARPA can put so much money into at a time. Hence, uh, idea constrained and not money constrained. What can we do to train more of these, right? Uh, Bell Labs had its own internal university sort of thing. Uh, a lot of organizations have like McDonald's Hamburger University. Um, what is stopping us from making more of these? Is it just like immigration? Is I mean, I, I think non-US citizens information can't work at dark question. That can't be the answer, but what's the binding constraint? Yeah, back to our chemistry ideology, but what is the what is the constraint to um, having more program managers at DARPA? Yeah, I mean, the I, it's a good question. Um, one is I don't think, and, and and I could be wrong about this. This is sort of until something is systematized, people always say this can't be systematized. Um, so I could be wrong about this, but I. I feel like you can't really just like train someone to have the skill set of a DARPA program manager that it sort of comes through this like wide variety of life experiences because you need someone who simultaneously has sort of deep technical experience, um, but at the same time is able like sort of has some like managerial skills, right? Because you, you need to be coordinating a large number of, of different researchers, all of whom have their own opinions about what needs to go on. Uh, so you, you sort of like need to, to be doing like this, this negotiation piece. And at the same time, you need to be really good at sort of having this like this vision of what the technology could be um, at, at a pretty granular level, which is, it's very hard. Um, and so, and, and, What's interesting is that the things that you do to build any one of those skills uh, very often like tends to like clamp down on the other ones, right? So very often when you go like really deep into a field, you sort of like get honed in on your specialization and you don't see how uh, like see the, the big picture um, on a really granular level or like you don't think about how like different, different uh ways of doing it could be done. Like you get really focused on your own way or like going really deep technically tends to like, you know, 
like there, there's there's the, the the stereotype of the the nerd who isn't good with people is like it exists for a reason um because just like really focusing all your skills on some technical area tends to make you um not spend as much time working on your management skills right and so the and so like so so darpa program managers end up in this like fairly unique place in like trade-off space um that's just very hard to get to uh, and so, so it's just like, so, so like how to train more people. Um, I think I would say like, instead of less training them, it's, it's more like encourage people with deep, like, I, I think what it is, is it's like, like get, take people with really deep technical skills and then encourage them to do other things for a while um that might be it uh that there's this sort of consistent theme where it's like people with deep technical experience who have done other stuff um as well wait what uh, is other stuff here like running like, like as in any managerial work uh, running your college is like becoming president of your college's union I, 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 like I like like uh running a company starting a lab um like running running a lab um uh yeah just like like weird stuff like becoming a um like a shoe salesman like okay, no no I, I like basically to work in any place that requires you to coordinate people yeah exactly like, um yeah yeah okay yeah i yeah. think so you're basically saying among the pool of people who have uh, deep technical experience, you have some percentage that can coordinate people and like some percentage that are willing and able to uh, work in work with the US government on, on this thing and be able to like basically technical experience, uh, people management skills and ability to see the big picture and the small things at, at the same time. Is that, a, is that a fair summary of it? Yeah, that's a fair summary. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and the willingness to like take some risk, right? Uh, cause like you go and you like, you do this thing for five years and then you have to like, you have to go do something else. Um, so I, I think that's, yeah, that's, that's another piece of the puzzle. Okay. Uh, so it's just, yeah. Yeah. Now I'm just, I'm just going to give you a, a lightning of questions about it, but like not, not, but they wouldn't be related to each other. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, what would DARPA for social science look like to the best ex extent you know so, so social scientists? Ooh. Like Rand uh, was one, right? And to an extent, the US government, to the extent you consider statistics a social science, but yeah, the US government ran a very, very good uh, causality modeling thing during World War II. So. Yeah, that's, I mean, like, well, I'll, I'll flip the question on you. Is like, what what is a a like? Give me an example of a program that you would imagine. Uh, I mean, it's like I, I think that both like DARPA and IARPA do do some programs related to social science. So like DARPA did like ha has done a couple of programs about like accelerated learning. Like how how can we actually uh, like teach people things better? Um, to your point, IARPA did did a predictions market program. So I, I guess my question is like, what, 
what sort of programs would you imagine a, a DARPA for social science doing that are not being done now? Uh, I think they care a lot about the validity of, of their work. They like, you basically have simultaneous replications. I, I, I saw this on Twitter and I don't know, I don't know how feasible it is, but yeah, you, you, you care a lot about the validity of your work. They spend a lot more money doing simulations because um, simulations are very, very under-discussed dis despite sociologists and economists knowing about it for 60 years now. I think that the, we're in 2022 and Thomas Schelling wrote his books in like 1960 or something. And, you know, it's been 60 years since we did that, but it hasn't been there. A common theme among any single um, like big advancement is the idea of a, of a big push, which is people basically say, uh, we're, we're gonna somehow get all of these people to work on this difficult, this big, hairy, audacious goal for three years now. And that, and like, that is missing in a lot of social science. So I think that would be the most important thing. In some sense, there are big pushes that didn't work. Like the big push from the stock market of like, uh, the the energy bubble of the 2000s just didn't end up well because I guess we didn't, we didn't have the technology and uh, foreign competition in it. But but historically, big pushes have been the best way of incentivizing uh, innovation in any scientific field. So so, but I think what you haven't told me is like what is what is this ARPA for social sciences mission. Like, like, what are, what are like, they, oh, what's their goal? What are they going to do? Oh, specific government departments really need to know uh, real, like granular details on uh, how people work. So what is the, I mean, obviously because there's a political aspect to it, it, it may not get end up being used up, but it's always useful to know uh, what is the cost of having a single one page form for food stamps? What is the, uh, like, like, it is very weird that only in the last 20 years in economics, we have the statistical tools to figure out what is the multiplier on government spending. And that's like, it happens because you get credit card data from uh, 20 different credit card companies and you correlate them. So yeah. So, so, so it's like, like ARPA for predicting the future. All science is predicting the future, right? You, this is this more figuring out really important things. Nobody in academia wants to work on for institutional or like uh, lack of interest reasons, but are important to the important to making good policy. Yeah. I mean, well, I think you just described what it would look like. Hmm. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing about DARPA is that it was done by, it was done by like, it started when the U S was the preeminent superpower on the earth and you May, it probably is still now. Can smaller countries do this? Can Denmark want to start say we want to uh, you know have a we we want to have our other one DARPA light? Singapore has that with DSTA. So actually, in the very specific context of Singapore, can a small country like Singapore um, do it? Hmm. I did. I did spend a little bit of time trying to convince the the Singapore government to do something like that. Um, I think one of the the binding constraints there is simply the number of labs and researchers in the country, right? So like the US has, I don't know, 
many, like uh, hundreds, maybe thousands of universities um, and, uh, and many lab groups. So I think like that's, that's probably the, the, the binding constraint. I think that if a country like Singapore was willing to work with labs that were not in its own country, there's no reason it couldn't do it. Um, I, I think that the, yeah. yeah. It's because more of a security question than a uh, scientific one. Right. But at the end of the, but like I, what I would advocate is that the, the focus not be defense uh, for, for a country like Singapore um, in, in the sense that like, I, I don't think that Singapore really militarily needs that. Um, and there's like so many other opportunities uh, to, to make the sort of advances that DARPA does, but in, in other domains. Um, so, so I guess it's like, the question is like, again, like, what do you want out of it? Um, yeah, I, yeah I, I don't think it makes very little sense for small countries to pursue like general purpose technologies. They won't capture any of the value from it. Like you invent, you invent the next mRNA vaccine, which is like great, but also it's super hard to monetize it. Yeah, and also, so, so it's like the other thing to think about is like the, it's like you, you really want a military advantage uh, you can you can basically like pay attention to what DARPA is doing and see like when things get much closer to reality and then sort of like jump on that and start like an internal R&D program around it. And it's like, uh, I, I assume that there are several small countries that do do that and that seems to work pretty well. So it's like, I think like making, like cloning DARPA like one for one, like actually around defense is, you need like a pretty good reason for doing that. Um, but, but like to the, the point of the question, it's like, like making a organization that's structured like DARPA that pursues sort of like really ambitious research goals. I don't see why a small country couldn't do that. Right. Like even, even compared to Singapore's budget, like I, what is Singapore's budget is something like, you know, like 350 billion a year. The defense budget is like 15 billion Singapore dollars, around 11 billion USD. Yeah. Right. So, so like, so, so it would need to be sort of smaller, but you could, like, if you did, you know, a billion a year, like, you could still run a very effective organization. Um, and so, yeah. So, so, so I don't think there's anything actually stopping uh, small countries from, from doing something like this besides the, need to do all the research in the country. Okay. What are your, your impressions of the, the, the Singaporean research and development s system? Okay, some background, why were you here? How did you, uh, what did you, you work on? And what were your impressions? Uh, like when I was in Singapore? Yeah. Like, um, what so, did you come so, here for? Oh, so uh, when I was at Singapore, I, uh, came to to work at this organization called Entrepreneur First um, that sort of helps people start companies. Mm -hmm. um, and my my sort of ulterior motive was to see if Singapore was was to like sort of get a sense of the the Asian innovation ecosystem more generally. Um, one of the things that I learned while being in Singapore is that calling it something the Asian innovation 
uh, ecosystem is a terrible idea because there is, it is like very different depending on when you, where you are. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, that was, that was the thought going into it. Um, and so, so I, I, you know, was kind of like a mentor for people starting companies. Um, but at the same time, I I talked to a lot of people in the the Singaporean R and D system. Um, and my impression of it is that there's like, there's people doing good work, but there's this kind of sense that there's like sort of a distinct lack of not ambition, but like willing willingness to sort of like go one step beyond what's what's reasonable. Like everything is very reasonable. Um, you have to be able to like reason out everything. It's like this is why I'm doing it, um, or and be like very responsible. Everything's very responsible and reasonable. And and sort of a conclusion that I've come to about like really groundbreaking work um, is that it is not responsible. Uh, you need to do things that are that are actually irresponsible. Um, to really sort of like you need to leave push the frontier. The, you need to leave the orange to rot in the lab for a few days. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, so that's that's what I didn't see a lot of uh, in Singapore. There's a very much a lot of like, oh, this is interesting. Uh, come back when when you have more evidence that it works. Oh, I see. They wouldn't be willing to. Uh, okay, let's find out if they, if it works or not. Or not. Yeah. That, okay, I see. Yes. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. It, it's, it's it's you are not the first person to make this critique. <laughs> so yeah. It's, yeah. It's like the most common thing I ask for is, what do you think about the the Singaporean X ecosystem? Like it's great, except for it's less ambitious than if I was there. I'm like, oh, I see. I, I see. What do you mean? Yeah. And again, it's like, I don't actually think it's ambition. Like it's not quite ambition so much as um, every, like there, there's this like level of, it's like, it's almost like too rational, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like, you, you need to be able to like justify everything, which on the one hand is like really great um, and is like very responsible. Uh, but at the same time, like, I think that it's sort of like, there's, a missing like that's not how like truly outlier results come about uh, you mean to say that the mean is high but the variance is too low yeah oh okay yeah, yeah. that's a, okay fine that's that's great um okay one thing about darpa is that it doesn't own stakes in the companies i mean like if you're you're private i mean darpa doesn't own stakes in companies that uh it funds and who's who's who use its research should it do more of that should your uh, or like is that a good idea because when i went through some of the, the research for this it was proposed during the 90s but the but but Collins at, at the time feared it would be too um like it, it it would we are too far away from research funding into like industrial policy so and they said you know this wouldn't end well so they cut it off is is this a good is this a good idea uh, I think that it, uh, let me, when we say this, like, I, I think that it is a, a good, the, the way that DARPA does it now in, in like not taking stakes in companies uh-huh. is, uh, a good idea because, uh, I mean, the work that they're doing is, is sort of a public good. Um, and I think that that's, that's really important. And, uh, at the end of the day, like 
even even if it like had a stake in Google, that's still table scraps compared to the the U.S. budget, right? So it's like you're not gonna like make the government money, um, oh, and okay. and and taking a stake in a company means that that company has less equity to uh, incentivize other investors, employees, etc. Um, and so there's really no good reason to it. Like people people make arguments that's like, oh, we should like return money to the taxpayer. And it's like, well, uh, at the end of the day, like the goal here is not making money for the country. The, the goal is like making a more amazing thing for the, the country that like feeds back into the economy and the quality of life in very indirect ways. Um, like, so yeah, like, like I, I did this, um, I, I did a, a quick little like spreadsheet analysis looking at like if DARPA took a stake in literally every company that uh, exists because of the internet. So we're talking Google, Facebook, Amazon, like all of them, right? If, if, if DARPA took a, a stake in them, uh, it still would not be able to have paid for itself throughout its entire history. Uh, so I think that this this idea of of trying to get like a return like a, a direct return on your investment is is not a great idea. Yeah, is there a brain drain from tech into finance? Like, it's, it's one of those those questions I think about all the time. All my smart friends, um, they are like, okay, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna go do this technical degree. Then I'm gonna go work for Jane Street. I'm gonna gonna go work yeah. for uh, Bridgewater. And I'm like, but like, you know, we should we should ban stock trading. I I become Bernie Sanders. I say we should put a, a transaction tax on on um, forex market and just get these people to work on science. What are your thoughts, uh, thoughts on that? Uh, so. The, the meta thing is that's like smart people will generally go where they can make the most money for like, right? Um, so I think this may actually be a difference between Singapore and the US where in the US, I, I don't, I, I think that smart, smart people would much pref- like pre- sort of preferentially go into tech now, right? Like they get data science jobs or like, uh, CS jobs like- at Google. Yeah, but even, but I think even that, like consumer tech, right? They're, 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 you know, the, 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 the brightest minds of my generation are optimizing ad clicks now. It's yeah, like, that I agree with. Uh, so, so I think that there, there's like, people are not going into technology or science. They are going mm-hmm. into tech. Um, and, and, you know, like if, if, I, if I were like, you know, the, the, the chairman of, of, making everybody go where I wanted them to. Uh, yeah, I would definitely say like more uh, smart people should go into building actual technology or actual science. Um, but uh, that's clearly not where the incentives are right now. A lot of these people, like including me, are going to computer science degrees because that's where the, you know, the old joke about why do you rob banks? That, that's where the money is. And same thing with like computer science. And what can, what outside of machine learning, like outside of the 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 um, the deep mind end of the machine learning stuff, what can computer science graduates do to improve our? This sounds vague, but like our scientific knowledge. Go do science. 
I mean, like, yeah, but uh, <laughs> like, and, like, no, I'm, I'm serious. Like, go, 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 go get a master's in biology, right? Like, there, there are tons of bio labs who would love to have someone there who's like building, uh, like tooling and actually can like upgrade uh, computer science infrastructure and even being in like, a, like an actual technology, like, like some, some, like being in direct interface with physical science or technology uh, can like completely, uh, so, so sort of like gives you this whole different view on the world, right? Because there's like, I, I think that of, of like, uh, sort of like the world of bits and the world of atoms have like the, these very different constraints. And like, you just think differently after you've been constrained by physics. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Um, yeah. And, or, or just like there, there are sort of just like look for those touch points between computer science. Like if you're not willing to like go and like work in an actual lab um, there, there are a lot of touch points between the world of atoms and the world of bits um, things, things around uh, like simulations is a great one. Um, but I mean, this is like my, my sort of aggressive opinion is like, no, you should actually like go get constrained by physics for a while. And then, uh, and then, and then you'll be able to do useful things. Okay. Bad. <laughs> Where should ambitious teenagers go? Where's all uh, the, the proverbial alpha? What, what's, what's like, it depends on your ambition, right? Like, huh? like, like I, I, I can't, I can't answer that generically. Right, like if your ambition is is to become a a great actor, you should go to Broadway. If your ambition is to like start a billion dollar company, like a billion dollar company, uh, you probably still want to go to either like San Francisco or like maybe Miami. Now I don't know. I haven't. That's yes. that's apparently a thing. Nobody says um, Shanghai, but like I think that that is also one answer as long as your Mandarin is reasonably good. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, yeah, so, so yes, like the, my answer was a very sort of American biased uh, question. Um, so I, th I think going to, to Shanghai or, or Beijing um, is, is probably, yeah, like a, a like again, but it depends on your ambition, right? Like, like if your ambition is to do like, uh, like a, some kind of science or some kind of technology, go to the lab that's doing the best work in that, right? Like, this is I don't know like you, you ask your guests this question and my reaction is always like it depends uh it's like deeply like everybody like you, you, like and I would like you shouldn't be generically ambitious it's like yeah that's great like step one be like I'm ambitious step two is like, <laughs> what is that actual ambition like what is your ambition to do um step two question mark step three is off it yeah exactly it's like you're like okay my scalar is big I'm like okay cool like what's your vector mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's say, okay. So if you, if you want to do good science, the answer would be go to the lab that does the best science. For whatever, for whatever, for whatever spe discipline specific, that is. Yeah. Spe a yeah. specific discipline. Okay. Um, yeah. Will the U.S. maintain its, uh, like prime position in the best labs because as far as i know all the best work gets done in the us and a handful of it gets gets done in the the uk and some of it in india china japan and uh well, western europe to an extent but will this go on oh that's a 
Good question. So I'm, I'm very bad at predicting the future. <laughs> um, but like, and, and it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't, but like, you don't like the, the like there, there could absolutely be sort of a shock, but if you just follow trend lines, I would say that, yes, like there's still, uh, like it is still the place where like ambitious people who want to do science go. Um, and you know, it's like the, despite all of the, the, the problems with it, the American government still pours tons of money into, into research. Um, and it, it sort of is where a lot of the best research is being done. Um, so I think like short of a unforeseen shock, uh, my answer would be probably yes. Um, but with low confidence. Why the low confidence? Because like oh, there might be a big mess up in policy? Um, because uh, I, I put low confidence on very generic predictions about, oh, the, okay. fu- uh, about the future generally. Hmm. Do you talk, okay, so uh, a, a lot of recent economics work has gone on to like the financing of innovation and and things like that. What do yeah. economists get right and wrong about this? Mm. Well, like it, it depends on whether I am going to argue as an economist or I am going to argue as not an economist. If I was going to argue as an economist, sort of by definition, they get almost everything right uh, because I would have to like fight them on their own ground. Um, <laughs> I, I think the things that they get wrong about it is almost like this like mindset of like like I, I think the biggest thing is like that the things that they can measure are the most important things right so like most of the economics paper like the sort of science of science papers focus on outputs like papers and patents um, and and you know measurable things and citations um, and so implicit in all of that research is that those are the most important things, right? It's sort of like you, uh, you max, like you, you, you optimize what you can measure sort of thing. Um, and I think that there's just like so much going on around invention and discovery that is important and not me- well measurable um, that there's like this, uh, and, and also just like the mindset, also there's, there's this mindset of like this, this analysis, this idea that it's like, it's this like kind of stationary process that you can just like analyze it um, as opposed to like thinking, like talking about like, what are the free variables? Um, I think that economists are very constrained in thinking about like, what are the free variables in, uh, in, in science and technology? So, so I, I guess like, those are the, the two things is it's like, I think that they what they get wrong is like the 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 like um, even like sort of like the ontology of it and like the um, the the bigger picture. Uh, Wait, I don't. I I'm not sure. I disagree with any like specific finding. No, I didn't get the last part. What do you mean by the free variables? Could you give me an example? Yeah, like um, so, uh, like like economists will ask questions like. Uh, should you, like, who should you fund, right? 
And like, the, so the, the free variable is like, you're assuming that it's like, okay, you're making a decision about like that, like everything is fixed except the amount, like where money is distributed, right? Uh, but what, what I think is, is a much more interesting question is like, like what are the constraints that you should put on money such that people will do better work? Right. And that is not, both not a, a very measurable thing. And it's like not even like within the scope of the question. Yeah. So uh, you can't, so like, how would you measure better work? I mean, it's not like impossible uh, to say what better work is because I know it, but I see it. But what do you see? Oh, man. Like, so, so I'm, I'm going to again, like, sort of reject the, the, the measurement piece. Um, we can like talk about like, sort of like, what are the patterns of good work? Um, and it's like, it's like patterns of good work are like things that make people like think about the universe in a different way in, and like in, in sort of a, a different way that can like be acted on or makes people realize that like we have a technological capability that we never had before. Um, okay. I, I think like those are, but like, yeah, it's, it's like a super nebulous question, especially like when you're not, it like depends on your discipline, right? Like good work in physics, uh, you know, it's like it has, it shares some patterns with good work in robotics, but there's, there's very different pieces and like also different people have different opinions where it's like, like from my, my bias standpoint, like, I think that good work looks like, um, things that can actually like sort of be built into a, a, a new system or like really expand our, like our predictive knowledge of the universe. But then like other people would say like good work is, is work that is Nobel Prize worthy. Um, and that's like a completely valid opinion as well. Okay, yeah, I think the answer would be, um, yeah, you, there's no, I mean, in one way, citations would be vaguely correlated, I guess. But, but even then, it's not like very clear until it, it hits its tipping point of fame and it like gets commonly cited and like new views develop. So yeah, there would be no easily quantifiable thing. And maybe economics should just go back to its Adam Smith roots on this and just interview people and, and then uh, you know, describe general patterns on that. I, 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 yeah. I, I don't know. I think that's, that's a great idea. I mean, like this is the, the thing that I, I tried to uh, sort of push with um, the DARPA piece is like, I think we just need more like rigorous analysis of incentives and outliers. And like, no, you can't necessarily measure things, but I think you can make sort of like try to make causal arguments about things. That's not completely telling a story and really sort of like ask like counterfactual questions about this thing um, and, and, and try to make a, a rigorous argument. Um, it's, it's not, science um it's not provable um but I, I do think that it's it's a valuable form of knowledge yeah that's that's fair i guess a common critique of uh, economics also uh let me ask you a bit about yourself you your, your bio says you did medieval history at caltech what did you study in your in your in your undergrad and why medieval history i mean uh, along with that 
so so the that's I, I say that partially to get a rise out of people. Like I did, I, I do have a degree in medieval history from Caltech. I also have a degree in mechanical engineering. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, so so I, I studied mechanical engineering and and I studied medieval history. Uh, my my thesis focused on uh, the transition from amphorae to barrels as a main means of transporting bulk goods in the Mediterranean in the early Middle Ages as a uh, parallel of a shift of economic center of mass from uh, the Mediterranean to Northern Europe. Um, if, <laughs> if anybody wants those details. Okay, yeah, the, it, it, I'm, I'm going to take a second to process that. Okay, now, now <laughs> tell me. <laughs> yeah, like what how does that how did that change your view while working on um science funding projects oh man like i think i i'm like i a lot like a lot like i, I think that the, the 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 sort of historical perspective is incredibly valuable in the sense that it 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 does make you think about these these sort of like unquantifiable causality chains. Like uh, that's, that's sort of what I, like, I feel like um, history is all about sort of explanatory narrative building uh, or like evidence-based explanatory narrative building. So I think it, it pushes me to dig into the, the history of different institutions and like, why are they like they are um, and to try to see uh, and I think history, like history type thinking is also like very good at, at talking about sort of incentives and like thinking about that in, in a, a broader sense. Um, and I feel like that's like, I think a lot of the stuff that I do now is like kind of like applied incentive theorizing. Um, yeah. So, Anybody so, working with people has to do applied incentive theorizing, right? Yeah. Um, it makes it sound very clinical, but like... <laughs> Yeah. I had a few questions. I had one from uh, Krishna, which said that, you know, there was this huge buzz with nanotech in the 90s, if I remember correctly. And like, how has that en ended up? And uh, like, what do we need to do to make it go further? Yeah. So, um, again, this, this is a, a, a depends on who you ask. Um, and I, I won't go too deep into it, but basically in the, the 80s and early 90s, um, pushed especially by uh, Eric Drexler, is this idea of uh, what we could call atomically precise manufacturing. Um, right. And the idea of like actually specifying like, okay, we're gonna have one carbon atom here and then one carbon atom here, and they're gonna have this bond and then like this other bond. And like, like basically specifying exactly where each uh, atom goes uh, in the same way that you specify where like each Lego brick goes when you're building a, a Lego set. Um, and so, so people were starting to get excited about that. Um, and that, that general excitement sort of got uh, picked up and amplified um, and uh, sort of like government spending priorities uh, then sort of specified that a lot of money was go going to go into uh, making air quotes nanotech, um, and but like what is nanotech? Uh, people then made the argument that nanotech is just anything that's like creates features on the scale of of a nanometer, um, which is is much 
broader than this, this idea of atomically precise manufacturing. Um, and like, frankly, uh, is just sort of like what existing chemistry programs were trying to do anyway. Um, so, so it feels like, so a lot of sort of the energy around it got dispersed into uh, this, this broader uh, definition of nanotech. And so, yeah, we've made a lot of advancements on making small things and, and that's, that's very exciting. Um, but uh, I, I think what we've, we've failed to do is to make a lot of progress on this, this original idea of, of really sort of mastering where each atom is going, um, which is, is one of the things that, that I'm, I'm trying to sort of push forward. Um, we've seen a surge in science funding institutions over the last year, or like last two years since, since COVID hit. What do you think of those? Do you think, are you optimistic on the new uh, organizational structures? So, so we're talking about like, uh, like uh, FROs and new FROs, science and the Arc Institute, new science, like yeah. our, um, Mercedes had their like emergency grants thing and uh, yeah, so that's accepted. Yeah, can, can, can I can I can I like do a side niggle uh, yeah, on the wording? Yeah, so yeah, so yeah. so one thing like like uh, if I, as long as I have a platform and I have the mic, um, I, I really want to encourage people to stop thinking about it in terms of just science funding mm -hmm. and start thinking about it in terms of uh, either like like science coordination. And you can think of like money is one way to get people to coordinate. But what a lot of these organizations are doing is like uh, they're 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 sort of organizing people in various ways and coordinating them towards different ends. And they, they are doing much more than just funding, right? Like they're, they're, they're doing more than just saying like, oh, what do you wanna do? Here's some money for it. Um, they're sort of shaping what people do through the money. Um, so that's, that's my niggle on calling, so I, would, I would call them like research organizations instead of just yeah. funding organizations. Um, yeah. What do I think about it? I'm, I'm incredibly optimistic. Um, I think that it's, you know, it's, it's the thing, like I'm biased, uh, I'm, I'm doing one myself, um, but I think that it's, it's sort of what we need to see more awesome sci-fi stuff in the world. Um, so, so I think, I think it's an uphill battle, um, I, but I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, and I guess I get like, I have to be optimistic, otherwise I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Yes, that is, okay. Um... What is the uh, bear case for your, for these things? Like ten years ago, like what's the pre mortem? Ten years later, if you you come back, I'm still having the podcast. I say, what went wrong? How would they end up poorly done? So it it depends. It depends. Like there's, I, I think there's sort of two main failure modes. <laughs> One is <clears throat> um, just like not surviving, like not getting enough money um, to, to do interesting things and kind of like needing to, to uh, hobble along doing low funded, putting out like just like white papers about stuff and like not actually doing research. Um, so that's, that's one or just, you know, dying, giving up. Um, so that's, that's one bear case. And then the other bear case is kind of just being captured by the default. Um, it's, it's very easy to do what is like the, the way that one, the easiest way to get money is to do the thing that is sexy and popular. Um, but that is also the thing that, 
is not very counterfactually impactful in the sense that like that would probably happen anyway. Um, so that's the other bear case is just kind of like being like, well, they, they did good work, but like, would that work have happened anyway? Yeah, probably. Um, so, so, is, and, and so like the, the, the trick is sort of like skating between these two extremes, right? Okay. Um, how is it, like this is going to be a completely unrelated question. Yeah. Uh, how could patents work differently? Which is like the uh, biggest problem of uh, intellectual property design, but uh, you have uh, the rest of the time this podcast to answer that. I mean, it's, uh, it, it depends on uh, the, it depends on the discipline, right? Like patents are really great in some areas and really terrible in other areas, right? So I would argue that patents are like really helpful for um, uh, like, like drugs or, or situations where like, there's sort of like a one-to-one -one correlation between like discovery slash invention and product. Um, but then in areas where uh, you sort of like need to build a system, um, Patents are uh, basically a, a terrible idea, um, and so so that, that's so I would just like I would make the patent laws dependent on the discipline. Uh, there's a really good book about this that um, it's called uh, "The Patent Crisis and How the Courts Can Solve It" by uh, Mark Lemley, I believe. Um, okay. I may have gotten that wrong. He's a, he's a law professor at Stanford, um, that yeah, goes Dan Burke and Mark Lemley. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and it goes, uh, pretty deep into this. So I would, I would sort of answer sort of this and I like generally agree with the conclusions of that book. Uh, so I would generally just point people at that book and say like, hmm. this is, this is what I would do. <laughs> Always useful to have those books. What's yeah. your uh, production function? How did you write like 240 pages? That's a, that's a whole book, right? How did you write 240 pages of uh, how to build a new thing? What is the process like? Um, so for like, for doing that, uh, I think like, so, so I already sort of had a bunch of hunches and, and ideas. And so what I do is I start, I, 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 I sort of like, I take the, the Zettelkasten idea like pretty seriously. Huh? And so I write down, I start a note by making like what, uh, like a, a, a quote unquote, like a bloody statement, like making like a really strong uh, kind of like as aggressive statements as I can uh, that I think is true. And then I start writing about it. Like I, I, I write to defend it, I write, um, like to try to contradict it and then to try to like contradict those contradictions. And, uh, so, so I, I do that and that's sort of how I think about it. And then in the course of doing that writing, I often find that there are things that I, I don't know, or I have questions about, and then I'll go look those up or find someone to talk to about them. Um, and then, uh, so, so I sort of do that. And so I like write, you know, a hundred of these notes more than that. Um, and this is what I did. I think that this, uh, this, I need a better process for this. I just like, I sort of like took all of those and uh, like jammed them into a, a single document and then start trying to like massage everything. So it, it, uh, it flows. Um, but that's, that's effectively, that's sort of how I, I did, uh, I, I wrote that document. 
Uh, are you one of the, those people who writes every day, or like, are you like me? Do you sit for for like two days and just type out everything at one go? Yeah, I try to write every day. Um, okay. It's sort of like that's it's it's like fun fun morning playtime, um, mm-hmm. and then you know it's like I do that for an hour or two, and then I have to do real work. <laughs> Wait, so on your uh, private ARPA thing. Like how far has it gone? What is the real work of it consist of? Oh, I mean, so so we're we're a, a real organization. Um, we have funding. Okay, uh, no, we're, I we're... no wait. I realized how that that oh. that sounded. No, no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't mean that. Like, so so you mean like 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 what is my production function for? Yeah, for my, like no, my, like my both, day job. Yes, both that and like uh. Oh, ha- what is going like what are you doing with uh, the private arpa thing like what am i doing with it um like so uh sorry about like we're we're starting one program uh i'm i'm working on launching a couple of other ones um like is that is that what you're asking yeah, when yeah, you say yeah. like what what am i doing with it yeah um yeah like like i'm i'm fundraising uh i I'm working on the legal structure um those are those are sort of like the the main things um and then the the production function there is you know uh actually pretty similar um in, in sort of like thinking about like I, I do sort of like write out like oh like this is what i'm trying to do am i doing that right does this make sense um and then but there, there's also just like a lot more uh this this kind of loop of uh thinking like sort of like having a, a seed of an idea for a program and then like reading a bunch of papers about it and like sort of trying to write up my own conclusions and then I then go and try to like contact the the authors of those papers and talk to them and like see like are these conclusions right would you take them somewhere else uh and then they generally point me towards like more papers that I then read and so there's like this kind of core loop ah, yeah. um and then in the course of that like uh, sort of paying attention to like who might be a good performer, who might be a good program manager. Um, so that's that's sort of like that's one loop. Uh, and then there's also like the funding loop of you know it's like talk to people and they're like, well, like I'm interested in this, I'm not interested in that, and they usually like give you some sort of homework. Like I'd like to see a write up of that, and so you go do that, um, and then sort of like reach out to more people and have more conversations. And then you sort of like use progress on the like one loop to make progress on the other one, right? So you tell people like, you know, as you tell, uh, tell people, it, performers like, hey, I got more funding. And they're like, oh, I'm more interested in talking to you. <laughs> and then you talk to, to like funders and you're like, hey, I'm like starting this program. And they're like, oh, I'm more interested in giving you money. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It's like it's like rock climbing. You got to put your your hand here, pull it up. And because of that, you, you, your leg goes to one more rock and so on yeah do you, do you climb I've, I've been like two times so okay. like all, all, all of those in like those, those very middle class experiences where, where like it's too expensive to do the actual things you so you go for some simulation in a mall or something i've never gone I, anywhere outside I, of like, I, I don't know i i like the gyms in the singapore malls i'm i'm a fan yeah, I, 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 I've actually, I've, I've, I've gone there in Bangalore. I've never been in, in Singapore. I should. Oh, okay. Wait, yeah, you definitely should. Where is it in Singapore? Do you, do you have a place? Uh, so, so the two ones that I went to, uh, that I really liked are, um, 
there's one there's a place there's a place called climb central it's at um which uh i'm forgetting the name of the mall it's like there's it's like there's a mall right by clark key um okay, that has a okay. climb central in it and then the other uh, one are you talking about the funan mall or novena yeah 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 Funan. The first one of funan mall. yeah uh and then the other one is shoot i'm forgetting the name i will i will email you it's okay in, fine thank you so much it's, it's another it's another boulder one yeah those those were my two favorites okay well, yeah i have a friend who's super into rock climbing so i'm gonna go with him i, <laughs> I highly recommend it i don't know i'm biased but <laughs> i okay um why was your uh planet rpp so long why not break it up into like five different ones oh uh uh it was too long um i think it's just because like what what i was trying to do is to basically like like let people get exactly into my brain um because there's like a lot of like weird fiddly bits um that i argue with people about and i i sort of like what i'm doing is very weird and so i really wanted people to be able to see exactly why i had made each decision that i had made um the hope is also that by sort of really laying out my thinking um it's actually a chance for us to to sort of like again get get a data point on uh these these un- these institutional questions of like you know it's like very often when people uh create a new institution they don't lay out their thinking and their hypotheses and like the reasons why they're doing different things and so my hope is that by by laying it out in like excruciating detail uh you know 10 years from now we can actually look back and say like oh like this we can actually sort of like learn things uh from it right like that it can actually be an experiment um so so that's that's why um uh and and partially because i'm very wordy and i hate editing myself <laughs> okay no i i sympathize with that although regrettably when i write my newsletter i i like i like the social contract with my readers is that i i give them a 2000 word piece they can read on their way to work or something and i can't yeah. do that <laughs> yeah i think the problem is like uh for the most part i write for myself right mm-hmm. so so to a large extent that piece was like me writing for myself or like writing for my future self to like say like okay uh-huh. like here's let me really think through this um so i'm i'm like bad for uh, writing for audiences sometimes audiences like what i write for myself <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah no 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 I I I completely uh feel that I had a question for you but by totally rewriting the game slipped out of my mind. Um my other thing was like um there's this uh you spoke to wider now I I I I went on their Telegram and Discord channels. It seems really promising. What what do you think of the uh token issuing uh research organizations like I like the, the tokens don't really uh give you a stake i mean they they're governance tokens but but they aren't like shares in them so i guess you you get to you you don't you, you don't get any of the direct financial um benefit but do you think that this will actually work what what are the biggest costs and benefits to that do i think it will work well it depends on what working means i think mm-hmm. that it will certainly fund 
it'll certainly enable some interesting research that may not have been enabled otherwise. Um, will it be a long lasting institution? I'm not sure. Like, uh, uh, I think there's, there's a question around like whether they'll be able to raise additional money. Um, there's also a question of like, do people actually think of their governance tokens as not securities? Like my hunch is that a lot of people, they, they have like this like fuzzy idea in their head that eventually uh, the money will actually flow back to them somehow. Um, so, so that's, that's another, like, like I, I have, this is completely unsubstantiated. So that it could be completely wrong. Um, so, so yeah. So, so I have questions about like, uh, sort of like the longevity and the amount of money it will be able to deploy. But I do think that it's just like a way of, of introducing, of like basically uh, creating grants with a different set of incentives behind them. Um, so in that way, I, I think it, it does work. Um, when computer scientists do, like, when they have big the uh, theoretical or practical innovations, a common critique is just that they don't really have very good workable outputs. That, like, most code written in papers is bad, I mean, primarily because the people writing the papers aren't paid to program, they're, they're paid for good ideas. But also that, I think outside of physics, I, I don't know how well physics builds infrastructure, but outside of physics, I think people have made the point that it, that infrastructure in academia is generally under-invested. Is that true? And like, yes. how do you fix that? Uh, so yes, it is true. Um, it's, I mean, it's because like all the work is being done by, by grad students whose incentive is to publish papers and graduate, right? Like there's like nobody, nobody gets like paid or promoted based on like writing good code, making sure that like it's well-documented, right? Like, so there, there's no incentive to do that. Um, and so I think that one, there's, there's sort of a couple of ways of doing that. Like one, one way of doing that, uh, that's just like, I, so, so the, 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 there's, there's, these are all speculative, but like one is like somehow have like a, a, a grad funding grant that just says like uh it's like you get to be a graduate student but we're gonna pay you way more um but you're not not allowed to publish papers and you just like write code um and then or like and and like some somehow like cut a deal with the university that like you automatically graduate with a PhD uh, if you like write good infrastructure. So like that's that's one interesting idea. I think this comes from uh, James Heathers. Um, another idea uh, that I would attribute to to Ben Thompson is uh, the idea of just having like um, like permanent staff in universities. And, and I think to some extent this does happen in the UK. Um, so the like the terrible infrastructure is an especially U.S. problem, um, but like having uh, like research staff who are who, like do have like long term incentives, right? So like their life gets more painful if the infrastructure is bad, um, and so that's that's another reason, like another thing. And so like actually like specifying uh, grants or other kind of funding for those kind of people. So those are sort of like two options uh, for, for making academic infrastructure better. But then you have to ask the question of like, this is, this is perhaps a little bit heretical of like, uh, 
is should should having great infrastructure be um, like how how much is having great bad infrastructure hurting the actual research outputs of academia, right? Because like if it's all just like proof of concept custom stuff anyway, um, having a, a huge uh, you know like infrastructure the way that Google does is like kind of unnecessary. Um, and so like, yes, it, it might be nice. It might make people a little bit more efficient, but like uh, how important is it? And, and the answer might be very important, but it's just, uh, I, I think we, we default to assuming that it's important. A lot of times I've seen like on questions like these, it is that it is, I wouldn't say like uh, unaffiliated, uncredentialed bloggers on the internet like Alexi Guizzi or, um, or uh, Jose Licon who uh, work on these things and they, and they come up with the best answers. Why does, does science have a self-introspection problem? Like, why is it that, that this guy sitting in, in Moscow was able to do so much better work on biology funding than 80% of meta science people? Uh, well, so, so the, there's, there's like two different, so like the meta science people like are, are also, like most meta science people, um, outside of like Brian Nozick, um, are not are generally not like practicing science scientists. So like there's there's I would I would agree that there's we're talking about like three groups of people, right? So yeah. there's like the like sort of like uh, credentialed meta science people, like the academic meta scientists. There's like the 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 feral meta scientists, um, like Alexi and Jose, uh, who. Uh, I love very much, and so I'm, I'm going to call them. I, I'm 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 among the group of feral meta scientists. <laughs> um, and then uh, there's like the, the people who are actually doing science. Um, and so, uh, to to answer your first question, I would I would say that like I think that uh, scientists don't do a lot of introspection. But at, at the end of the day, it's like, do they really need to? Um, I think that. Um, uh, Michael Strevens, um, who's a, a philosopher of science, made the point that like most uh, most like race car drivers are not the best mechanics, right? So it's like, is it really their role to do a lot of introspection? Um, you could argue yes. Uh, I think that like knowing like some scientists should know more epistemology, but like uh, I'm not sure that the onus is on them. Um, but then in terms of like the, the sort of like institutional meta scientists, uh, I think that they, again, like sort of like to this point, like I feel like their thinking is very constrained about it uh, because they're trying to like look like scientists. Oh, I see. So like- and Yeah, and like Jose and Alexi can just like do whatever the fuck they want. <laughs> no, it's like, you know, there's the meme of like, the 16th century historian um, has his things in a dream and puts it in the, in the book and the 21st century guys like you know this data from this guy in the field in Napoleon's time and, and you're like yeah. like yeah it goes back it goes back to my point about you need to be a little bit irresponsible okay that's yeah okay <laughs> um like one thing with Bell Labs was that the U.S. government had a Faustian bargain with them. It was like, you make all the school stuff and we'll at least push away our antitrust prosecutions for like five years more. And they just kept pushing it till in the, in the 80s. They got tired of it and actually sued them. So um, uh, with like as much antitrust knowledge as you have, plus science 
funding knowledge as you have should is that a good bargain to do today with google and facebook mm mm uh i maybe i don't know it's just like cuz the thing is that the like the sort of research that google and facebook would do i mean like this is this is my bias but it's like the sort of research that google and facebook would do um is still not the kind of research that needs to be done right like i don't, I don't think we particularly uh, but like maybe um uh like i i yeah it's like i i i don't really know it's like i sort of i'm there's a tension here because like i am fairly uh i i prefer the government not coerce things um but at the same time i i do think that it would be nice if google and facebook made made more sort of like awesome external research like external facing research happen um so uh yeah i think the answer is i don't know <laughs> no i i see your point uh, i i forgot i think dan wang had this point where he's like um you know you can't take consumer tech as like DARPA's original mandate is like make cool stuff that is useful for the uh, US military. And Dan Wang was, 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 Dan Wang's point was like, you can't take consumer tech to be a good uh, measure of how well does uh, military, um, how well does it translate to military outcomes? Given that like, doesn't it mean that like are people systematically messing up what tech means when they think of like because of consumer tech being just i mean to be very clear a lot of consumer tech is just a big i what it was uh, the a cloud app right it just create read update delete which is which isn't very technologically advanced or it doesn't help you with any sort of military applications are are we messing up in thinking like that i mean i i would argue that uh the ter- like tech is no longer the same thing as technology mm-hmm. um so like tech is this industry that sort of revolves around uh both like large uh software companies and small uh high growth startups and that's that is tech and then there's this other thing called technology mm-hmm. um that advances our human capability um and like and and some there's like some overlap between these things and there used to be much more overlap between them and now there's there's an increasing like sort of separation between those two things um so so i try to be uh fairly rigorous in saying like okay here's tech and here's technology um okay. and so like the military stuff is technology um and then there's there's the tech industry okay does trend in consumer technology translate into uh like i mean into military technology like is that an argument one could make um i mean there's like it's it's like super ca- like uh, there is no one line of causality right like there's like this super nested web where like you can make this argument that like uh because like GPUs were originally made for gaming um but then that it turns out that they're incredibly useful for training neural nets that can then be used to control a uh uh like an autonomous drone, drone um yeah. with a gun on it right so it's like so 
I, but at the same time, it's like, you also see the, like the causality flowing a completely different way where it's like, the, like, why do we have computer chips in the first place? Because the military wanted to put them on, on rockets. Um, so uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that you can say generically uh, yes or no. It's, it's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, my final question to you is, um, how would you rate Chinese prospects in defense technology? Because it seems like, I mean, it's like the cliched question, but it's cliched for the reason it's that um, you see them testing, you see them climbing slowly and slowly up the value chain. They had a, they had a hypersonic missile test maybe like a, a few months ago and uh, you see vague leak messages of like, uh, you, you know, I, th I think it's like very interesting that, that Shanghai has drone shows, but I don't know of it anywhere outside China. So what do you There's think? There's drone shows in Singapore. They had them New Year's, yes, New Year's 2020. Happened. Yes, but they're definitely less, I mean, there's probably like media bias because I see drone show in Singapore and I'm like, eh, but I see one in China, <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, cool. I but, thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, but like I see it every year, so, so it like the value <laughs> okay. right. gets gets deflated. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so so I I mean like I, I, I this is I, I hate to end on kind of disappointing note where it's like I don't have any sort of like special knowledge or opinion about Chinese technology. Um, I do I, I generally agree with with Dan's assessment of it that. Um, there really sort of is a, a much like the culture in China feels like it is sort of valuing work on actual technology um, and the science that supports it more than the culture in the US and, and to some extent Singapore. Um, so, and, and like my bias is certainly that like, I would, I would like to see more people uh, prioritize technology um, writ, writ broadly and, and science. Um, but like, as, as we've just seen over and over again, the things that we think are important now in, in technology and science uh, may absolutely not be the thing that we think is important in 10 years. Um, and so it, it's, it's just really like, and, and like, you know, it's like the, the Soviet Union was the first the first country to put a, um, a, a human in space. Um, and so like, but like, is it like, <laughs> and, and so there's like that pattern, but then you could also argue that like, like the, that capability really does show that they um, are, are really ramping things up. Um, so, so I, I think it's, it's uh, extremely, nebulous what's like i i don't think again like i'm i'm not good at predicting the future um but i i think the the thing to like think about is like what what culture do we want to live in like do you want to live in a culture where uh all the smart people go and do consumer technology or do you want to live in a culture where smart people go and like build like cool manufacturing tools and like increase the the capability, like our, our capability to do all sorts of things in the real world. Um, that would be like, I, so I'd, I'd flip that and just like say like, this is the question that it raises. Um, 
and we all sort of like vote with our feet in terms of that. It's Ben Reinhardt versus the consumer tech VCs. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> this was great. Okay, yeah, thanks so much for coming. Uh, it's, and it's like it's a, something I I I haven't talked about before, so which which I'm, which I'm glad I did. So uh, yeah, that's it, it's been great fun talking to you. Yeah, it's been it's been very good. Uh, I'll let you uh, get to bed. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs>